love watching our children every Sunday, seeing the next generation as they exit, knowing that they're going to be taught and they're growing in their knowledge. We just pray for them as they ask questions and seek the Lord. And so it's always encouraging as we see these young people here and it's a blessing to be part of a multi-generational church where we have a thriving nursery, a growing nursery. Amen, Miss Jasmine. And, um, um, and then we have a, a thriving senior ministry. And so God's just been so good to us. If you have your program guide on the back of it, you have a place where you can take notes for the sermon. If, you do, or in, if you're in the habit of taking notes, the title of the sermon today is False Devotion. False Devotion. And the title is Luke chapter, or the uh, sermon text that we're looking at is Luke chapter 20, verses 45 through chapter 21 through verse 4. So Luke chapter 20, verse 45 through chapter 21 and verse 4. That's going to be the area that we're going to cover and look at. When I was in seminary, we had a tradition where a person was selected by the student body to represent the graduating class. And um, they did this by preaching the final sermon, one of the final messages of the year in, in our chapel service. And it was a great honor for the person to, who got chose by the student body because they represented uh, integrity. They represented a faithful walk with Christ. They represented a careful handling of the Word of God. We all got to hear each other preach in our preaching labs. And, um, and so there were a number of factors. And it was always uh, a fun time where we could find that one student that really stuck at, stood out and um, got to vote as a class on other individuals. By the way, if you voted for yourself, you were automatically disqualified. <laughs> but um, particular guy, one particular guy was voted out of the class that I graduated with, and uh, he preached and did an outstanding job. And he was that person that everybody really genuinely liked. He he was uh, always um, faithful and to engage in a respectful conversation and dialogue and even in areas of disagreement. He was a very respectful, very likable individual, very humble and a very, very good preacher. And I remember sitting in my church office not very long after graduation and I got a phone call from this individual and he had asked me if he would, if he could come to our church. This was not here, by the way, this was long time ago in a faraway place. And he had asked me if he could come and preach. And I just, I should have actually been honored to have him come and preach and, and meet our church. But he was wanting to come and, and meet our church and preach because he was planning on taking his family and moving to Schenectady, New York, where he wanted to plant a church. He believed that that's where God was calling him to go. And I just didn't feel comfortable in my soul allowing him to come and preach. And I knew this brother. I, I sat in class with him. Great guy. And it really bothered me. I, I respectfully declined. I just said, you know, now we're really busy. And we were. I didn't lie to him. But I declined him coming to, to speak. And, and uh, I went next door after I had this conversation with this individual and talked to our ministry assistant. 
because it really bothered me that I felt the way that I felt. And I just told Kathy, I said, Kathy, I said, I'm really struggling. I just had this situation. And I explained her the, the thing, the, the whole story, the context. And she said, you know, she said, it just sounds like maybe God's protecting us from something or protecting you from something. She said, you never know. I really didn't give much thought to it after that. About a month went by and another dear brother of mine, Keith, called me and he just asked me, he said, hey, how are you doing, brother? And I said, hey, man, it's good to hear from you. I'm doing well. He said, man, have you heard about so-and-so? This is the guy that represented our class preaching, the guy that had called me that I turned down to come and, and, and meet our church family. I said, no, I haven't heard anything. He said, man, he was arrested. And I said, what was he? What? Are we talking about the same guy? He said, yeah. He said that he was engaging with teenage girls online and sending pictures and receiving pictures and making all sort of sexual advancements to young girls. But what he didn't know, he was talking to an undercover police officer and they, they, they went to his house and they've arrested him. And I thought, my goodness, you know, you'd have never thought that. This was the guy that, that preached. He represented our, our graduating class and and, 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 you know, it just was amazing to know that while he was preaching at seminary, those things were going on. That he was going home and engaging in, in that type of behavior. But, you know, around the same time, this was around 2009, 2007, 2009, that area, same time that was going on. Another situation was going on right here in your own backyard. Some of you may remember this. There was a guy who was very prominent in youth ministry. He was considered a youth evangelist. His name was Sammy Knuckles. And he was part of some local churches. He was a, an evangelist at the time. Lifeway, remember Lifeway Christian Bookstore when they were... In their prime, he was one of their leading evangelists, leading youth groups all over the country. It was said at one time that, that Sammy had over 100 bookings a year to go and preach at youth rallies. From 2007 to 2012, he was doing things that is phenomenal. In Olive Branch, Mississippi, him and his wife would have youth groups come to their house and when the little girls, the young girls would go into the bathroom and change, he had put hidden cameras and would video these young girls. He was actually preaching at an event, in a, a youth event in Arkansas, where he stayed with a youth pastor and the youth pastor's wife. And in their own bathroom, they were sharing a bathroom and he put a camera up and the wife actually found the camera and she put it on her computer and there it was, her undressing. And she called the police and that's whenever he was caught. Thirteen different photos that they caught and videos of 13 different individuals. In fact, I believe Sammy's still in prison today. He may be getting out this year, I'm not real sure. I say all of that and share these stories with you to say some things that I've learned by the way, I could spend a lot more time talking about a lot more situations. A person can look 
very spiritual. A person can talk, very spiritual. And a person can walk, very spiritual. And underneath all of that religiosity and religious activity can be a world of evil. Let me give you a warning as I begin this text this morning with Jesus giving his followers a warning. It's easy to get caught up looking like you are devoted to Christ when in fact you are failing at actually being devoted to Christ. You can look devoted without being devoted. I've learned that many spiritual leaders, Christian leaders, and by the way, people sitting in the pew have an unbelievable capacity to live a duplicitous lifestyle. One way where we see you, but another way where no one else can see you. Let me, let me give you this warning. God always sees you. He always knows. He knows what's in our hearts and in our minds. And it's necessary that we keep our focus on Christ and we have accountability in our lives for sure. Let's remember as we go back into our text here that Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. And instead of going to the Roman, I guess you could say in our terms, embassy or wherever they conducted business and law and correcting the politics and correcting the corruption of Rome, Jesus goes to where the religious people are at. And he goes to the temple and it's there that he confronts the corruption, the lies, the manipulation, the extortion, the immorality that's taking place in what was intended to be a house of prayer for the religious leaders had turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus has upset the religious leaders. He came in and upended their tables and confronted them and exposed them for who they were. And he's teaching in the temple every day to regular folks who are rushing in to hear every word that Jesus has to say. And what we find in our text today is Jesus is talking to his disciples. But he's speaking in such a way that he's letting everyone hear. He's not hiding anything. What the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing in secret, coming together and talking about him, he was just talking about them openly. He had nothing to hide. He was exposing the reality, the truth. And so he's speaking so that everyone can hear him clearly. And while Jesus is teaching his disciples, while Jesus is teaching those who've come to hear him, you've got to know other things were taking place. Not everybody was just focused in on Christ. There were the normal activities of the temple that were taking place, offerings and givings and, and prayers and counsel, the reading of scripture. There were other groups that were there meeting as well. So Jesus speaks though loud enough. He wants everybody to hear him and listen to what he says in verse 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware. 
of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. They love the greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Beware because they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. What was a scribe? A scribe was one who was associated with the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They were all part of religious groups, except the scribes were the ones who spent the most time in the Old Testament law. They were the ones who spent the most time writing and recording and reading and giving counsel. And people would come to scribes who would seek advice on how to deal with real life situations. They were wanting to understand the Bible. And so you go to the scribes if you want to know what the Word of God says. They were looked up to. They were admired. They were dignified. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples. But even wanting the scribes to hear him, you better watch out for those guys. Beware of those scribes. Mark them. Stay away from them. That's what it means to beware. And what Jesus does is he shows us the characteristics of false devotion. And so let's look at these characteristics this morning. Notice the scribes like to walk around in their long robes. Robes were more than a fashion statement in Jesus' day. Those who wore robes were people of prominence. And these weren't just any robes. These were specific robes, long robes, robes that stood out, robes that were colorful. They had dangly things hanging off of them. These robes would catch the eyes of other people. And when people would see these ones wearing the robes, they would stand back and give respect. They would open the door. They would usher them in. They would in some way show some honor and respect because people who wore these types of robes were very important. My wife and I traveled to Africa several years ago and there was a chieftain that I met He wore a certain set of clothes, he had a certain hat on, and he had a cane. I actually bought the cane from him. I thought it was so cool. But I asked what what being a chieftain meant. What did it mean to be a, a chief? And they said these were the most respected people in their community. And when a chieftain was walking down the road, they were identified with their cane, their hat, and their their outer garments, and whenever people would see them, they would step to the side and they would bow down like this. They wouldn't even look at him because they were showing respect out of dignity, saying that you are better than me. You are more prominent than me. And notice the key word here. They love the greetings in the marketplaces. It wasn't the greetings that were bad. It was the fact that they fed off of it. They loved it. That's what they wanted. They craved it. They desired. They liked to walk around in these long robes because they loved the greetings in the marketplaces. They would, like these people that I was just describing to you in Africa, would be noticed and seen and people would give them great respect. But all of this was an outward display. It was nothing more than a testimony to their own pride. 
These men could care less about the people. They only loved that the people loved them. That's what they were interested in. And I was thinking about this story, this context and what Jesus is saying to them. He's speaking to his disciples. And so what's he saying to us through these characteristics? And I just begin to wonder, do we care more about what people think than we actually care about the people themselves? Do we care more about what others think of us than we care about others? Because that's a testimony. If we're more concerned about what people think, then that means we're actually more concerned about us than we are about others. And Jesus said what? To prefer the needs of others over yourself. Be more concerned for others. Love your neighbor above yourself. Do we care more that people don't know what we do in secret than we are that we are committing sins in secret that we do not want them to know about? What concerns us more? The fact that we sin or the fact that we might get caught? You see, it's a revelation of the heart when we begin to think about what Jesus is showing because these were men who were supposed to be not just studiers of the law, but doers of the law. They were supposed to be not just telling other people how to live these things. They were to be living out these things. Christians over the years have really been marred because of our hypocrisy. We preach a lot, don't we? But do we do what we preach? Do we? Do we apply these things? So a characteristic is, or one of the characteristics of false devotion is being more concerned with what others think. More than anything else. Notice also these scribes would occupy the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor. Do you remember when Jesus talked about a believer going into a banquet? What did he say? Which seat did he say to believers to go and occupy? He said, go and occupy the least of the seats. Go to the cheap seats. And it might be that you might be invited up. And if you are, it would show honor. But it's far better than going up and being asked to go sit down there. Jesus taught us how to select seats when we go places. In other words, he told, tells us how that we are to enter into an assembly. We are to enter into an assembly with humility. But not the scribes. They went straight to the prominent seats. They went straight to the VIP section. Because they not only want others to think highly of themselves... They think highly of themselves. They believe they are worthy of the VIP seats. They believe they are deserving of honor and of reverence. They are the epitome of entitlement. But Jesus says that the first will be what church? And the last will be what church? You see, Jesus says, I will put down the prideful but I will lift up the humble. Scribes are living in total opposition to Christ and his teachings. 
Notice again that a characteristic of false devotion is not only caring about what others think so much that you're willing to put on such a show, but also caring a lot about what you think of yourself. That's a characteristic of false devotion is pride. But another thing is greed. Taking advantage of the weak. It says that the scribes would devour widows' houses. What does this mean? Widows, widowed women in that day, they didn't, they didn't have anybody that really cared about them. Not a lot of people would take care of them. So where do you think that they went for help? To the scribes. They went to the temple. What is the expectancy if you're hurting and you come to church? You're expecting to be lifted up. You're expected to be helped. Here's what you're not expected. Here's what you're not expecting when you come to church. You're not expecting to get taken advantage of. And that's the way it should be. Unless it's a false church. Unless there's false devotion. Because when it's fake, people could care less. And they will take advantage These widows would come to these scribes, these men of God who were supposed to bless them by giving them prayers, by giving them legal services, by giving them biblical counsel. Instead, here's what they got. The scribes would charge them for their services. They would extort out of them these things and they made it into a money-making market. The scribes would rob them out of their inheritance, which in many cases, in most cases, was not much at all, but they was willing to take whatever the widows had. They did not care about the people. The scribes would live off of the hospitality of lonely women seeking financial and sexual favors, according to many historians. The scribes would charge money for even special prayers. This is still going on today, even among many evangelicals. Long time ago, again in a faraway place, I had a deacon. And by the way, let me say this before I talk about deacons. I think we have incredible deacons here at Calvary. But we had a deacon and by all outward appearances, this was a man who was serving God, devoted, because he did something that was so unique. There was a widow woman in our church and he began taking care of her. She didn't have anybody. And we have, you know, there's a real need to take care of widows in the church. And she was lonely and alone and she needed somebody to help her get groceries He went above and beyond. This man would go to her house. He would spend the night so she wouldn't be lonely at the the house there. Now, there wasn't any things going on like that, but he would stay. He he treated her like his own mother. He would drive her everywhere in her car using her gas. He would take her to the store. He did all sorts of things for her. This woman had a lot of land. She had $3 million in CDs. She had all kinds of jewelry and a nice car. He ended up out of at at the end of all of this. Again, everybody thought he was being a great deacon to her. At the end of the day, 
He tried to turn her against her own son by becoming the executor over her estate. He took her money. He took, or took a lot of her money. He took her car. He took a lot of her land and took her jewelry. In the end, it was fully exposed the type of person that he was. He didn't care about her. He cared about what she had and only wanted to take that from her. You see, it's easy, right, to look one way but be another. So let me say something to our leaders here. Let me say something to our deacons and our pastors. And by the way, if you don't see one of them today, you, you can go tell them this, all right? I want to speak, though, to our leaders. You better make sure that you're more concerned with being devoted to Jesus than you are concerned looking like you're devoted to Jesus. Because if you're not, eventually it will come out. But more than that, what did Jesus say at the end of his teaching? They will receive a greater judgment. You are held accountable to the degree of the position that you hold. Whether you're a father in your home, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a deacon, whether you're a teacher in a Sunday school, whatever degree of position you hold, you're held to that standard. And so we need to be careful. But make no mistake about it. This isn't just for leaders. This is about it for every one of us. For those of you in the pews, while Jesus is talking about the characteristics of false devotion, he just sort of stops. And he looks over at the offering boxes. We have offering boxes that are placed at the entrances here. And Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Now what an interesting contrast we see here. And Jesus is the one that makes the contrast. The word for rich though that is used by Dr. Luke means an extreme amount of wealth. These were the people of prominence. And by all indication, these are the same people that Jesus has been talking about. Those, the scribes, are those at least associated with them. Those who are probably rich off of the extortion of others. Enriched by their greed. They have a false devotion to Christ. We know that. A false devotion to following God for sure. Because he contrasts the rich with the poor widow. And the word for poor means extreme poverty, meaning that this woman had all the outward appearances of someone who had absolutely nothing. She was not wearing her Sunday's best because she didn't have anything else. The words matter. And these are the extreme contrasts. Those who had everything and this one who had nothing. And this contrast between false devotion or is a contrast between false devotion and true devotion, not who gives the most or how much one gives. You see, this woman was not concerned with what everyone thought. She wasn't looking for the best seat in the house. She wasn't trying to be noticed. Compared to the amount of money everyone was, else was putting in, she essentially gave nothing the word there for mites, or the two copper coins, in the Greek, it's the word leptos. 
These were the smallest coins in that culture and they were the least valuable of all other coins. If you have a penny, you have the least amount of all of the other currency that you own. The penny is the least amount. By all accounts, this woman should have been embarrassed, but she wasn't. And here's why she wasn't embarrassed. She wasn't embarrassed because she was walking in the integrity of her own heart. And God saw through the robes. He saw through the clothes. He saw through the bank accounts and saw straight into the hearts of those who were giving. No one else was even paying this woman attention. The Bible doesn't even name her, but notice Jesus sees her. When nobody else does, Jesus sees. And I'll tell you something else I believe. The way the scripture leads us to believe is that Jesus not only saw her, Jesus knew her name. He said this, truly I tell you, in, in, in other words, truly making an emphasis on the reality, the truth of what I am saying. I tell you this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This was her livelihood. This wasn't a, this wasn't a tent. This was everything. She didn't have anything else to give. She had given it all. I believe the reason that this woman's small gift is noticed by Jesus is because she gave all she had. She gave everything to him. Second Corinthians 8, Paul talks about the churches of Macedonia. Remember that? Paul talked about these, you know, the, the mission work. And, and, and obviously uh, there was lots of going on in the missions and there were others who had supported. But, but there was something unique about the churches of Macedonia because the churches of Macedonia, I believe the way the scripture leads us to think is that they were the poorest of all the churches. They were the churches that you wouldn't have expected them to send any offering. But they were so convinced that God had called them to be a mission-supporting church. They were so convinced that God had called them to take, a, take what they had been blessed with and give it to the mission and the ministry of the gospel. That's what they, they thought. That's what they were convinced of. Listen to what it says there in... Verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Man, they're bragging about them. They, Paul, the Holy Spirit inspired this because they had been given notice. It says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. In other words, they gave until it hurt of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
And this, not as we expected. We didn't expect, we didn't expect that church to be the one stepping up. But, but how did they give? They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I want you to write this down, brothers and sisters. Jesus is not concerned with how much you give until you have first given yourself to Jesus. True devotion gives everything not just a portion. True devotion gives everything, not just a portion. By the way, notice the full context here. This woman is giving all she has and all those crooked religious leaders are going to take it and spend it on themselves. They're going to take it and abuse it. They're going to swindle it on their own self-serving interests. Jesus knows all of this. I want you to hear. And does nothing to stop her. Jesus could have went to this woman and said, Oh, don't, don't, put, don't, put, that in that, don't put that in that offering box. They're just going to mishandle it. They're going to abuse it. They're going to spend it on themselves. You take your money and you use it wisely. Use it better than that. He could have told her to keep the money and it would have went for better use than what they would have put it to use for. But he doesn't. Why? Because Jesus knows regardless what they do with it, she's giving it to Him. She is giving it to her Lord, regardless of where it goes from there, she is giving. It just shows you her devotion to God. Folks, I want you to know that we take great pride here at Calvary to receive the offerings that you give with care. I'm going to give you some insight to the giving here at Calvary. Your pastors never see one dime of what you give. We don't touch that. We put it in the care of others and we take great pride with those who do it and we have checks and balances and we want to be a church filled with integrity when it comes to giving. And on top of that, you, church, are the ones that set the budget for the church every single year. We don't. You do. So we go through great lengths we have increased our missions. We've done that for nine years now. We have continued to give more and more away from us instead of to us. But I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. When you give, you are not giving because you believe others are going to do the right thing. You give because you are going to do the right thing. It's the integrity of your heart that you give. You do it by faith, not by sight. I know a lot of people who will actually direct their giving. They'll give to this organization or that organization, and that's not always bad. 
But let me tell you why most people like to give that way. They like to give because they like to control where their money goes. They like to control the direction of their money. But giving by faith is sometimes just trusting that the Lord will get that money exactly where God wants it to be. But more than that, it's just again us out of the integrity of our hearts that we give. You doing the right thing by giving is noticed by God, even if someone does something bad with your good gift. Jesus does not condemn her by giving, but notice something else. He doesn't commend her either. Jesus doesn't go to this woman and say, hey, I saw what you did. That was impressive. He didn't do that. He doesn't commend her. Why do we think so? Why did Jesus not commend her? I'm going to just tell you what I think. This is my opinion. I think it's because one day Jesus knows he's going to see this woman face to face. And he's going to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with the little. I'm going to bless you beyond measure. You see, her reward is coming just like the other's condemnation is coming. Remember the judgments and the rewards? Now then, let's keep our minds in the temple for just a moment. I want you to imagine the ones in the temple dressed well like all of us. They're praying, they're giving large gifts of money, they are kind, they're respectful dignified by all outward respects. But then there's this one who stands out. She's not there for the show. She's not there to fit in. She's there out of a pure devotion, unconcerned with what everyone else thinks, even unconcerned if people look down on her. She's been beaten down by the misfortunes of life and her face is filled with pain and sorrow. She's not holding anything back. Out of all the people there, she puts in the least amount. As we see this scene unfold, I want us to ask, who do we identify with the most? Out of those two, who's here for the right reason today? Who's here out of a, a true devotion to follow God or Am I just here to put on a show? Am I here to be seen? Here to, to put in my time? Or are we here to put in our life? What is it? Where are you at? Where is your heart? You see, if we're not careful, we can be like the ones putting on the show, can't we? We can. It's easy. But you need to know that God is not concerned with what you wear on the outside more than He is concerned with what you look like on the inside. You need to know that God is not as concerned with how much money you give. He is concerned, though, with whether or not you give yourself to Him first. God is not concerned with how loud you sing or how good you sing. He's only concerned that when you sing, you're singing to Him. 
God is not concerned with how many prayers you offer. He's only concerned that your prayers are the desires of his heart. That they are desiring him. You see, here's the great challenge for us today. You can fool all of us. I can fool you. But none of us here can fool God. Heavenly Father, I pray for conviction this morning as we reflect on the things that we've heard. I pray for a true desire in our hearts today to be fully devoted to Christ. Lord, help us to know that everything you've mentioned in this text only point to whether or not we're actually devoted or we're putting on a show. And God, I pray that all of us here would recognize that it's possible to live a duplicitous lifestyle. Forgive us, Lord, of our hypocrisy. Help us to repent, put our faith in you and follow you. Help us not to seek rewards for the day, but to seek the rewards that you will offer us one day. Help us to set our affections on the thing above the things above and not the things below. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And Lord, where we fail, break our hearts. Convict us and be faithful to bring us back into a right walk with you. And may you get glory for it in Jesus' name. 